Welcome to Leveraged Lifestyle, the podcast that shares with you the mindset and skill set it takes for you to create your ideal leveraged lifestyle, whatever that might look like for you. Please welcome your host, entrepreneur, world record holder and globetrotter, Catherine Turner. Welcome to episode one of Leveraged Lifestyle. I'm your host, Catherine Turner. In episode one, I interview my inspiration for creating this podcast, Mr. Rob Moore. Rob Moore is an eight times best-selling author and double world record holder. He has himself two podcasts as well, The Disruptive Entrepreneur and The Money Podcast. You can find more details about Rob at robmoore.com. In this episode, I wanted to interview Rob because he is a serial entrepreneur. He wrote the book on life leverage and he is my inspiration to create this podcast. He has gotten a number of people who follow him in different communities and he has a real vision to create global financial freedom. We get into what does a leveraged lifestyle mean to him, how he balances that with raising a family and raising grounded children. He also gets into some of the best and worst advice he's had along the way in business and he shares that with you and how you can take advantage of that as well plus practical tips that you can start implementing in your day-to-day life and business. Now, Rob does get a bit passionate, so you may hear a few interesting audio snippets of him bashing on the sofa we were sat on and uh, moving around on the sofa. Uh, I do apologise for that, but I think it actually makes for a really great interview. So I love recording this episode. I hope you'll enjoy episode one. Make sure you keep listening to Leverage Lifestyle. Uh, We have many more episodes after this. And if you've got any ideas of who you'd like me to interview next, please get in touch via our online community. Uh, You can search on Facebook for Leverage Lifestyle online community or go to the short link bit.ly forward slash LLOCFB group. Okay, well, The podcast is called Leverage Lifestyle and I want to welcome you. Thank you, Rob, for agreeing to be uh, the first episode and being my first interviewee. So uh, welcome. Thank you. Thank you. So Leverage Lifestyle, I really want to know what does that mean to you? Because I think it means something different to everyone. So what does it mean to you? Okay, so I think leverage is getting uh, more done in less time. I think it's making more money on less money. I think it's creating a vision and a process and a system to give you the lifestyle that you want. And that could be running your business from your laptop there. That could be you want to build an empire, therefore you want systems of leverage to buy big property buildings, hire lots of staff to build a big company and an empire. And I've certainly gone through a journey where at first I wanted net three grand a month, then five grand a month, then 10 grand a month. Then I remember my first 50 grand month, then my first million pound month. Um, And I realised that as I got in a better financial position, I didn't want to do nothing. I wanted to do more things, but I wanted the freedom to be able to choose what they are, when they are, to a certain degree. I think a myth of the leveraged lifestyle is you can do what you want, where you want, when you want, with who you want. Um, I think you can have a lot more choice and you can have freedom. But if you're married, you can't do what you want. That's (laughs) nonsense (laughs) if you've got kids you can't do what you want when you want where you want you've got to do what they want where they want when they want so like you know like i have 75 staff and at least five of the staff in my office and i say this with with passion and enthusiasm 
you'd think they employ me. Um, they tell me what to do all the time, they book me all the time, they keep me in line all the time. So this idea of freedom is a paradox. And the paradox is on the one hand, you have more freedom choice, profit. You build a lifestyle that's right for you, work less, work more, work remotely, build something or just have minimum moving parts. But if you lose accountability to people, staff, customers, um, family members, etc., that's the paradox that people think they want, but I don't think that they, they actually want. Well, it's impossible. You're, you're accountable to someone. So be clear on your vision. Do you want passive income and less moving parts, but therefore less scale? Do you want scale and you want to build an empire, but therefore more challenges to overcome? But there's always more to leverage. There's always more to outsource. There's always, there's always another level. So where you think you're busy right now, someone has systemized that and been able to hire staff and scale that up. And then you just move to a next level. So for me, the leveraged lifestyle is about being able to move to my next level to keep myself interested and inspired. Um, yeah. Great. Thank you. OK, so this podcast is really all about uh, leveraging uh, time, money and knowledge. So I want to know what is the best piece of advice you've had or something you've particularly implemented that has either saved you or gained you in time, money or knowledge? OK, so I've got about three things. Perfect. And, and one of them is most of the world thinks that you learn best by mistakes. Uh, and a mentor of mine who used to be a board member of ours said, it's dumb to learn from your mistakes and smart to learn from the mistakes of other people. And that was a bit of a mind shift for me because there's a lot of personal development out there, which is, well, you've got to learn from your mistakes. But actually, if you look at it, most people don't learn from their mistakes because you are who you are. You're good at what you're good at. You're rubbish at what you're rubbish at. And if you make a mistake once with something you can't do very well, you're probably likely to do that again. <laughs> because we tend to repeat our patterns. It's more expensive, more time consuming to learn from your mistakes than it is to learn from the mistakes of others. And I, I guess the best example I could use is, would you rather learn from your mistakes by going bust and experiencing what that's like, going through a, the administration process and you know, having to start again and build it all from scratch, which apparently is a really good thing to do if you're in America and you're very investable if that's the case, or would you rather learn about going bust and administration from people who've been there a couple of times and you can learn from them? I don't ever want to go bust. I don't. Okay, it might make me a stronger person, but I don't want to. So I'd rather learn from other people who've done that. And Mark and I had a, a couple of people who were way ahead of us. Like one guy was worth 100 million plus, another guy tens of millions. A pre-recession, both had big property companies, way bigger than ours. Uh, and they used to have dinner with us two, three times a year. We used to be able to get uh, email exchanges from them. Um, you know, like now you can pay for that by reaching people by investing money. But back then we just managed to be able to get in there. We we're just persistent. And then we saw them both go bust. And we still in, had a dialogue with them and we learned a lot from them by watching what happened to them. Now, obviously, we weren't trying to take advantage of them, but we were trying to get the lessons. Um, and of course, a gift that they can give when going bust is helping other people not. So that's definitely one. Great. Learn from the mistakes of others, others and not yourself. Uh, and that is investing in courses, training, podcasts, having being on uh, masterminds, having mentors, studying the successful people through history and current. The next thing was I was in Cayman doing our Cayman legacy. And this was, this might have been four years ago. We're, we're, we're doing our eighth Cayman year next year. So it's like a mastermind in Cayman. And I think I just launched Life Leverage. So actually it was three years ago. 
And I, people were asking me about leveraging outsourcing and systems and hiring and scaling. And I must admit, I was probably fairly overconfidently giving people all these tips on how you do this and how you do that. And um, there's three of us who run that mastermind, me, Mark, and at the time, Dave Ravenscroft, who sold his business, you know, worth a, a good few million quid, uh, and went to Cayman and has one board meeting a month, um, but still gets dividends and profit share from his company. Um, so he exited, I don't, don't think he sold the whole company, he exited. Um, and he said, Rob, so you're fully leveraged, right? And, well, yeah. Write the book, Dave. And went, well, uh, have you got an office? Well, of course I've got an office. No, 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 what I mean is, have you got an office in your office? Office. And I went, well, yeah, of course. And he's like, well, you're not fully leveraged then, are you? Because if you've got an office in your office, you have to go to your office, to your office. And if you're fully leveraged, you don't have an office. This is my office. Sat around the beach in Cayman. Um, and that was a bit of a light bulb moment for me as well. If you're tied to a location, yes, I had at that time probably 40, 50 staff, but I still had to go to work. Um, and yeah, I could access the server from Cayman, but I hadn't had that fully autonomous, fully hands-free lifestyle where I didn't have to go to an office if I didn't want to. I wasn't tied to anywhere. Now, Cayman was always a good test for us. We, we did Cayman for the first year. One, because Dave actually flew us out to mentor him. Um, and it was our first one. And it was a one-to-one -one for him because obviously he's very wealthy and he paid us uh, really good fees to do that. But I think that was the first time when we'd been away from our office for a month. And, you know, many people who have done business systems and leveraging will, will teach you, if you can't walk away from your business for a whole month, then you're not systemized. And that forced us to do it. Now, back then, the systemization was our staff will look after the business for us. Uh, but yeah, it used to be a bit of a riot or, or mistakes would happen or breakages would happen or they'd be constantly, oh, there's a disaster and we wouldn't be able to fully relax when we're away. But of course, we've done the seventh now. Things do t tend to go wrong when we're away for a long time, but our great team can handle it. Yeah. So yeah, there are two things I'd definitely say would, um, whatever your question was, is the answer <laughs> to it. No, perfect. Yeah, what you've implemented and the best piece of advice. Yeah. yeah, you can give around that. Perfect. Okay. And one of the many consistent questions I've heard you ask, love your community, don't you? Love it. One of the many consistent questions I've heard you be asked is, if you started all over again, what would you do different? And I like to I like to point out that your consistent answer is to leverage sooner. Yeah. So I want to know then, if you had have leveraged sooner, where do you think you might have been now? Mm. Billionaires, Rodney. Um, <laughs> it's easy to say this retrospectively, but that's the purpose of the question. Yeah. Uh, I think I felt my main asset the first sort of three years at least in business, maybe even four or five years was sweat, was hard work. I wore hard work like a badge of honour. I work harder than you. How many hours have you worked today? 12. Well, you're a loser. Lunch is for losers. You know, wearing it like a badge of honour, bragging about it. Or at least it made me feel important. I wasn't always bragging about it, but, you know, even to the point where if I was ever dating, which was a rarity, um, I'd, I'd always make an excuse of being too busy. And you're not too busy. You're just doing what you feel is most important. So this busyness is a myth. It's what you're making a priority. Uh, so, yeah, I think where would we be now if I embraced systems leveraging and outsourcing sooner? Um, well, we'd probably be a bit bigger. We'd probably have more verticals. But there's no regrets. And, you know, like, I think I learned most about systems leveraging because I created quite a chaotic environment in progressive and for my life. Um, and I love work. 
and, and I loved it back then. And I'm very lucky that I've got a wife who, basically, she likes me to f and not be around. Um, and she never tells me, she just looks at me. She's just like, mm -hmm. I don't want you around right now. And that's quite common. Um, it's the look, yeah. yeah. So that's quite <laughs> convenient because I can get on with my stuff and she's not, I was going to say needy, she's, I'd like her to be a bit more needy. <laughs> you're watching, honey. You never watch, but if you're watching. <laughs> um, so, it, it, you know, and I, I actually pretty much just when we got into Property and Progressive, I did have a girlfriend before, um, Gemma, and she was quite resistant to it all. And what's all this course, personal development you're doing? And, and I felt like it was really like a weight that held me down. So, you know, we didn't work out. So it's very cool to have someone who's um, supportive. But Gemma sat me down when Bobby was about nine months old. So this was seven years ago. And she said, Rob, it's great that you're working and building this, you know, machine of progressive. But if you keep working like this, Bobby's going to get to 18 years old and you're not going to know who your son is. And that hit me really hard. Mm. And of course, my ego at first was, I'm doing this for you and I'm doing this for the family. That's why I'm doing this so they can go to private school and all this. But honestly, I wasn't. I was doing it because I was addicted to the work and I was addicted to people saying Rob's a hard worker. And I, I guess was, I, I am in some ways the, the, the remaining legacy of my dad's generation. You know, like uh, working hard in the north of England where the, you, your only asset is hard work. And if you want to earn more money, you get overtime. And I guess that's somewhat rubbed off. And so my dad taught me to work hard. But that's an outdated model for the society we live in now. But back then, there was no Upwork. There was no um, onlinejobs.ph. Mm -hmm. There were no VAs. Y you know, there, there was all the stuff that you teach. Mm -hmm. um, there wasn't that. But there were local sort of, there was someone called Miss Moneypenny. And we met her at a business networking event. And Miss Moneypenny would take care of all of your business administrative needs. I like it, Miss Moneypenny. Um, and I thought, well, what do I need Miss Moneypenny for? <laughs> but, you know, I, I never hired her because I thought, well, you know, we'll just do our admin ourselves. Oh, I can't afford to hire someone, you know, 15 grand a year just to do paperwork. Mm. Uh, so, yeah, we'd have, been, we'd have been further down the line. I'd have made less mistakes. Because, you know, like working hard means you fatigue. And then when you fatigue, you make mistakes. And then when you make mistakes, Things go wrong in your business. And sometimes it's good to take time. Sometimes it's good to think. My main asset is not my hours and my sweat equity. My main asset now is my ideas. And if I need time and space and coffee and travel and not being in the office to fertilise good ideas, then that's the best asset that I can bring to the business. But I think there's a lot of guilt that you don't feel like you've got the end, to the end of the day and you've had a good day's work. Have you done a good day's work? Well, actually, if you did one deal that took you 30 minutes, you've done a good day's work. But the guilt is still there in me, and I know not so much anymore, but I know it is in a lot of people. Like You feel like you have to put a good shift in to feel like you've made progress. But, you know, you could, be, you could spend three hours thinking going for a walk or listening to really good podcasts to try and formulate ideas, and you could be halfway there. And that could be a better use of time than working 12 hours a day on admin. And have you also noticed with admin, the more you get done, the more you get in. You know, the more emails you reply to, the more you get back. Yeah. yeah. Cool. I don't, I don't know if I've actually directly answered any of your questions. No, it's but, perfect. Uh, I, think, yeah. I think there's loads of learning lessons in there for everyone and uh, some practical tips. Some learning lessons. <laughs> some learning lessons. Some lessons to learn from. But actually, one of the things you mentioned there was Gemma and the kids. 
and selfishly as a mum and entrepreneur, uh, I really want to know how you go about balancing family life whilst growing your businesses um, and ideally keeping the children grounded as well. Yeah. You know, as you get more successful, there might be some more material things around them, but how do you keep them grounded along the way? Okay, so I think there's two or three questions in there. So if we can do the first one. Mm -hmm. um, I wanted to set up an environment whereby I never spent prolonged amount of time away from my kids. I hate being away from Gemma and the family. So this merging passion profession, vo vocation, vacation thing, which is in the book Life Leverage, which I'm sure you'll do episodes on, yeah. that's a strategic thing that you can set up. One year in advance, book your holidays to maybe coincide with when I run Expert Speaker Bootcamp or when I run the Cayman Legacy. Now, I hate holidays. Gemma loves holidays. And actually, it was Gemma's idea. Gemma's idea was, well, why don't we go abroad to the places we want to go uh, and you do a bit of work? Because, again, she likes her independence, so that's convenient for her. She doesn't want to sit on the beach while I'm nagging at her. Oh, when can we get in? So um, she's quite pleased for me to go off and do my work. She wouldn't want me to do it for a week and never see her and never be with the kids. Mm -hmm. So I've created this lifestyle where I fit in family time every day. Now, what most people do who are busy working, trying to earn a living is the first thing that goes in is business and work. And then there's nothing left because it consumes you. So in my book, Routine Results, I took that um, story that you've probably heard of, of the um, pebbles in a jar where the philosophical um, teacher um, gets a jar out and he puts these pebbles in, these sort of, sort of quite big pebbles. And he says to his students, oh, is the jar full? And they say yes. And then he gets some smaller stones and kind of puts them in and shakes it around. Is the jar full now? And they say yes. And then he gets some sand and he pours the sand in and he's, you can still get more in. And then he says, it, it's, it, it, and of course it's full. And then I take this analogy one stage further and say, say if you actually poured water in, you'd get water that would go in there. Or coffee. Or coffee. <laughs> so the, the big pebbles are your key life areas. Time with your family, time doing your martial arts if you love martial arts, time doing the things that you love. Travel that much. And I'm not going to judge what that is, but your key life areas, non-negotiables. Then the smaller but still big stones are your key result areas, are your income generating tasks, the things of high value to you from, from work, secondary things that aren't reliant on you having your perfect happy life, but you still feel that you have to do what you want to do. Um, and then the, the, the gravel is the admin and all of the maintenance to maintain that. The water is other people's emergencies that they chuck at you every day. So if you put your rocks in first, of gym, of spending time with the kids. Your gravel, which might be work, fits around it. It fits in, you can put a lot in, because there's a lot of space. But if you put all gravel in first, and know this is why when people work all the time, you see them get overweight, you see them get stressed, you see them you know, go through divorces, mm -hmm. because they're working so much that everything else has attrition. I never wanted to be that guy. So I made a clear strategic plan. Now the irony was, a bit, you know, you asked me earlier, what would I have done differently? Well, I'd read The E-Myth and Built to Sell and Scaling Up and Work the System. And of course, my book, Other People Read Life Leverage, which is all about leveraging, systemizing, outsourcing and automation. I'd read all the books. But yeah, I get up at 6 a.m. and work till 10 p.m. back then in the day. So sometimes it's just taking time, planning. Now, the more in advance you plan your diary, like a year in advance, well, nothing can, nothing can override an existing appointment because you've booked it a year in advance. Um, what was the question? 
So yeah, so it was basically raising the kids. Yes, yes. So <clears throat> I don't think I've ever spent more than two or three days away from the kids. And that was because we up the flights to Cayman one year. Mm -hmm. But other than, now, other than that, it'll just be one day or one night. That's the first thing. Time with kids is a priority. Putting them to bed, getting them up, and the dinner time is a priority that's always booked in, and Bobby's Golf is always booked in. And it's booked in before a podcast interview with the Dalai Lama or a, a million pound property deal. It's booked in before those, because they can all move around, and people perceive that they can't, but they can. Um, so I feel like I have a pretty balanced life mm. in that regard. I like to work hard in short, sharp bursts. Like 20, 30 minutes, work hard, and then I need a break. Or an hour, work hard, and then I need a break. So I have to work hard for an hour, I need a break, and then play golf with Bobby for an hour, and then need a break. And then work hard for an hour, and then need a break, and then spend time with dinner and the family, and then have a break. So like, I have like these, some people talk about micro-retirements, you know, like one week every month, or one month every year, you retire. I have micro-micro-retirements. I retire every day <laughs> for about two hours of the day. And I work every day. I work on Sundays. Sorry, Lord. I work on Sundays. I work on bank holidays. I work on days when you're not supposed to work. But I don't work 10 hours a day, ever. Um, now, the next question, you know, raising balanced, grounded kids. So, um, I feel like I've learned a lot being a parent, but I feel like I've learned more than I can teach. And I remember having a chat with one of my mentors, John Demartini. And it was actually when Gemma was pregnant with Bobby. And I remember saying, oh, I can't wait to instill all the wisdom I've picked up over the years and into my son and keep the family legacy going. And he laughed at me, literally laughed at me. And he basically said, you will learn more from your kids than you will ever be able to teach them. Well, actually, he sort of corrected himself and said, you will, in a balance, learn as much from them as you teach them. And that is definitely true. Uh, but you have to allow yourself to learn that. So with my kids, I'm trying to learn about them all the time. Um, I'm trying to give them the best start in life, but also put them through some challenge. But, you know, I used to always think you are how you're born and genetically this is who you are. And I, I used that to my disadvantage my whole life. Well, I can't do that because I'm not naturally gifted. I said that all my life. People who are bigger than me with playing rugby, people who are smarter than me in certain lessons. Well, I'm just not good at that. I can't do that. I'm not flexible. I can't do martial arts. And I just always wrote off myself because I wasn't born that way. And then I was fortunate enough to be able to read Bounce and um, Malcolm Gladwell's books, where they kind of reversed that thought process and said, well, you know what? Everything is learned. Nothing is genetic. And then I had kids. And I actually think things are both genetic and learned. Because before my kids could talk and walk, they had completely different personalities. Like it's bio not biologically ingrained in them. I'm convinced. You know when people say, I can't believe how different my son is to my daughter. Most people say that. Well, if you and your wife or husband and your son and your daughter were all the same, like you're all hunters, there'd be no gatherers. You're all business people, there'd be no one taking care from the home. So I'm convinced from a species and a biological evolutionary perspective, we are born different. So I went in raising Bobby thinking, I want to raise someone who's independent and strong. Therefore, I'm going to challenge him. But I actually pushed him too hard too early in some areas because that didn't work for his personality. With Bobby, you have to do it very slowly and in a nurturing way. Whereas with Ariana, you could just go, go. <laughs> and she'll have an audience within like a minute. Um, yeah. So 
Daddy, come here. I've got a kiss for you, Daddy. Now go away. <laughs> I feel sorry for our future boyfriends. Honestly, I really worried having a daughter, as every man does. Mm. Is a man going to take advantage of her? No, she's going to have 15 of them on a rope. <laughs> come on, boys. Honestly. Oh, so she, she, it was like all the confidence that was ever existed in me and Gemma was into her. And a lot of the fear and the insular nature was in Bobby. And I kind of expected it to be the other way around. So I learned a lot there. So I'm trying to learn that managing, raising, letting my kids go, it's a very different thing with both of them. Mm -hmm. So with Bobby, I was really pushed on his golf, but I've really come back now. He's still great. He got a hole in one last week. He's still one of the best golfers in the world for his age. Fantastic. Not number one anymore like he was, but still right up there. But, you know, like I want him to be one world number one when he's 25, not when he's five. Mm. Um, and so they've definitely taught me patience. How do you keep them grounded? By every now and again, putting them in environments where they get what the world is like outside of Lamborghinis, Ferraris and first class travel. Good. Yeah. Like it. Fantastic. One of the things you've done there is obviously list a lot of books. We're going to make sure they're in the show notes as well, because uh, I know a lot of people want to read what you're reading and listen to what you're listening to. Uh, I know one of the things, um, well, actually, leads quite nicely into the fact that you are an author yourself. Eight times at the moment. Is it best selling author? Um, yeah, What's about that? about that. About eight. We, I think <laughs> I've written 13 now. Amazing. Uh, some of them are written by Mark Homer. <laughs> Fair enough. So <laughs> I think you've kind of answered it probably in how you work anyway. But one of the things I wanted to check, because I know a lot of people feel like they've got a book in them. What do you personally do when writing a book and what do you leverage out? OK, so whilst I do believe a lot of things in life are easier than we think and we can simplify them, writing a book for me is a paradoxical process I don't actually enjoy the process, but I enjoy the process. And it's always hard work for me getting a book out. And I've written now 13. So what I outsource is the research. But then a lot of the research is my life. Because, I, I, you know, there are a lot of people who spend two or three years on a project and do loads of research and write on a subject that they may not have been involved in. You know, biographers, for example, write about people. And whilst I respect that as a research project, for me, the most congruence and authenticity is to write a book about you've done your whole life and you know. And that's all my books have only ever been that. So A, my life has been my research, which gives it credibility. B, I've got a researcher who does all the research. Now, I've tried dictation. Um, I've tried someone sitting down and trying to dictate out of me. And what works best for me it's just a, a load of coffee and just to write the book. Because I tend to write, break, read, write, break, read. So I'm writing and editing at the same moment in time. And I've had people record me for two days. You know, if I've done talks that are, are relevant to the book, I'll, put it, I'll record it on my Zoom H1. And you get it back and you've got the urs, the arms, the f and everything else still in. Um, it's just a whole massive ream of text. And like, it's more work for me to go and edit that than it is to start from scratch sometimes. Mm -hmm. But some people find it really hard to just write, whereas I don't. Because all the baggage that I've had in my life, the therapy that I'm now going through to get that baggage out is podcasts and books and live feeds. Okay. 
So I don't, that's why I never really seem to dry for content. Maybe people who are more adjusted and balanced will find content hard because they've got nothing to exorcise. So my process is, what have I been doing? What am I interested in? What is topical? What do people want? Because I'll engage with my communities. Then I'm decided. I've usually got more than one idea, so I ask my community which one of the ideas has got the most le leverage and um, they would like the most. Then I do a load of procrastinating for ages <laughs> until I set a hard deadline with my publisher or someone else. And then I procrastinate some more on social media and everything else. I go through all this emotional wrestle in my head about why I'm not writing this bloody book. And then I write the book. And then when I've written the book, it goes to an editor and it comes back. And then it goes to my researcher to read again. Then I'll sometimes read it once. I edited money five times. Because I felt like that to be my most researched book. And my publisher told me after I'd written 155,000 words that it needed to be about 65,000 words. Well, Robert's in the contract. Well, if that's how we're playing the game. So I edited it five times, down from 155,000 words to 155,000 words. <laughs> Each edit, reading 155,000 words, 5,000 words out, 5,000 words in, 5,000 words out, 5,000 words in. So I was like, man, I can't do this anymore. So now I, I, I outsource all the editing. So I just write the one version. Um, yeah. So it kind of leads me nicely into the next question then. If, is there anything that you uh, really don't want to do but can't find leverage for? Yeah. The audio of my book. <laughs> reading my book. Wow. So I read, I didn't read Life Leverage because, you know, like here's the thing. My critics are like, oh, well, that guy who read the book is rubbish. But if I'd have read my own book on leverage, my critics would have gone, ah, you can't even afford someone to read your book. That's not leverage. <laughs> so I leveraged it and then people wanted it to be me. Yeah. Um, and I really resisted for ages because it is good leverage to have someone reading your book. But I, I'm getting more and more and more and more and more and more and more. So I've bowed to the, and I foolishly went and did a poll. And about 550 people went, Rob, read it. And about four people went, Rob, don't read it. Um, so, yeah, I really don't enjoy it. I think it's okay as well. I'll be positive, Rob. Think of the upside. No, I hate it. And I'm never going to enjoy it. I hate it. And how many more books you got in the pipeline? <laughs> yeah, a lot. Um, but, yes, yeah, just a necessary evil. So if I'm going to do it, I'll do some live feeds while I'm doing it. Or I'll put the Zoom H1 on and I'll take some sections and put it on the podcast. So at least I can get a bit of extra leverage out of it. Um, I, I really don't like a lot of admin, but I don't have to do that. There is no one, there is no admin that can't be done by someone else. That's cool. Yeah. One of the things a lot of people, when we talk about leverage, obviously this Sorry, I don't like dealing with insurers. Oh yeah. Mark does that. Perfect. Don't like dealing with planners. Mark does that. Well, then you can leverage it. Perfect. Yeah. Leverage Mark. Yeah. Love it. Yeah. So one of the things we're going to be talking about a lot in this podcast is what you can leverage, how you can leverage. What was one of the first things you leveraged, particularly in your personal life at home, maybe? Because that might be where people might want to start. Okay. So I had this vision. And I thought, if I get a cleaner, because, you know, Gemma's busy around the house, 
Likes to let me know she's busy around the house. Moans that the house is never done. So I thought, well, I'll get a cleaner. So what does Gemma do? She cleans for the cleaner. <laughs> she spends a day cleaning for the cleaner. So I thought, well, all right, what else takes her a load of time? Cooking. So I've got to cook. Mm -hmm. Gardening. Got a gardener. And I still don't get any more. Oh. <laughs> and I selfishly did that to have more time to spend with my wife. Are you all right? You look embarrassed. No, no. So, I, yeah, pretty much everything in the house at home was outsourced. I feel like I do pretty have to apologise to all the women listening to this podcast right no, now. No, you don't. <laughs> you wouldn't have invited me <laughs> on the podcast if... Um, no, the look. I, do you know what, though? I think it is good to be honest. Yeah. Like, a lot of people say they're doing stuff for other people or their family. Like, I said I was working really hard for my family. I was working hard because I wanted to. Um, and yeah, I outsourced all the stuff at home so I could spend more time in the evenings watching Netflix and having a cuddle with my wife. <coughs> that is my selfish interest for doing it. It didn't really make her life that much easier necessarily because the vacuum law of prosperity, she filled that with other things. <laughs> Sh should I maybe not carry on with this subject? Do you well, think? <laughs> Am I digging myself into a hole? They, to be fair, we have um, got some people saying we all clean before the cleaner comes. So. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Um, She's not alone. Not allowed to say, yeah. All right. Um, so... <laughs> I think if you're not having a cook, a cleaner, a gardener, a babysitter, even maybe someone to have as a nanny to help you with stuff, then you're spending a lot of time in your personal life doing things that take up the time in your personal life, but you're spending all your time working so you can have some time in your personal life, and then at home you're doing all the homework. And honestly, if you just take one hour a day, oh, ironing, oh my God. O-M-G, L-O-L. <laughs> so I have an, an ironing lady, get this. She drives in the car all the way to my house. She knocks on the door. She has a big bag like that, recyclable. She lets us dump kilos worth of clothes in. She charges eight quid a kilo. She drives home. She irons it all. She brings it all back, hung up. Beautiful. Eight pound a kilo. Why would you ever do your own ironing? Why would you ever? Um... But I think it's, that's also a mindset, as, you know, ironing, cooking, cleaning, nanny, babysitter. Gemma didn't want a babysitter or a nanny because she perceived that the right thing to do to raise a kid, you know, our children, was to spend 24 hours a day with them. That's actually not going to be good for them. That's going to make them totally dependent. How long are their grandkids going to live? Do they want their grandkids to pass away and our kids to say, well, we never really knew who our grandparents were? No, it's a massive gift for our kids to spend a lot of time with their grandparents, for our children and for our grandparents, and of course, for my wife and for me. So, you, you know, like there's a lot of guilt, isn't there, around mums and, and all that around raising kids. So yeah, okay, I was being a bit flippant, but I think there's a lot to be learned from it. Oh yeah, I, I completely agree, to be honest, I completely agree. I just think, don't think anyone else has got the courage to say, the reason I outsourced all the chores was because I wanted to spend more time with my wife having some lovey time, but I did. <laughs> and it didn't work and it just cost me more money <laughs> I love your honesty Rob always and now always. I'm yeah <laughs> never change okay we're going to go slightly off topic no, haven't we already then <laughs> <laughs> story of my life with you <laughs> okay you've been interviewed and have interviewed quite a few people but is there one question that you wish someone would have asked you but never have is there something inside you that you wish you could have got out but just have never been asked. I've actually made Rob more speechless. 
<laughs> Shall I ask another question first? No, no, I'm quite enjoying this silence. Um, I hate not answering a question. So, a question I wish I'd have been asked. We'll come back to that one. Everyone's going, wow. <laughs> okay. If you can wave, so this is a, actually we've had some questions in from uh, members of the different communities that you've set up and founded. So uh, one of them, I love this one. If you could wave a magic wand, what problem in the world would you solve and why? I think the world would change if everyone start, stopped criticising everybody else and sorted their own challenges out. Because there's obviously a lot of things I hate. I hate cruelty to animals. Um, I, you know, I, I hate obviously all of the, the horrible things we do to each other as people. I think that the, you know, the political landscape is not really something I enjoy how it works. But instead of if pointing a finger at people, we went, how could I become a better person and give more value? I think the world would change if everyone committed to do that. And I've tried my best in my life to do that. I'm obviously a flawed human being who makes mistakes. Um, but I've definitely got a lot better at keeping my mouth shut, not criticising. I also know now, um, having been criticised many times in my life and often unfairly, how it feels like. I like feedback and if people criticise me and it's valid, I'll manage my ego. I wouldn't have been able to do that before and I'll take that on board. We, we had a, someone gave me some really kind feedback about some, a mistake we made yesterday and I'm dancing back and forth and I'd have just taken that really badly at first but I'm really grateful for that. But, you know, when you get criticised and you know it's defamation or it's totally untrue or it's hurtful or whatever, I just think, well, you're not perfect and I'm not trying to be perfect myself. So, fix your own stuff before you criticise others. Mm -hmm. And the world will be a better place. Well, it'll instantly change, won't it? Yeah. Because we'll all fix ourselves and stop trying to fix everyone else. Like it. Got yeah. it. Cool. Perfect. Okay, I'm going to ask that last question slightly differently. What's something you want to put out there that maybe you've never been asked about, maybe is slightly off brand or off topic, but that you'd love to get a message out there? that maybe no one's ever heard before? Um, I think the best work that could be done, the best work that I've done, um, is all about helping people increase their self-worth. Um, I think that self-worth increases, increases net worth. Um, and actually, when people have criticised me, challenged me, stood against me, or others, once I've cared to take the time to understand, I realise it's usually from a failing within themselves and they don't know how to handle the emotions so they spit it out in revenge or in envy or criticism. And I've had some quite moving experiences helping people when I've got to the bottom of their own baggage and just help them value themselves more. Um, but I'm actually probably a few months away from writing that book. Um, I think that'll be my best work and I think it'll be the work that transcends all the other work I've done. What I try and do each time I write a book, unless I'm specifically just whooping a quick one out there, like Routine Equals Results, is a simply a book about managing your time, diary and life. It's a quick, simple system for compartmentalising your diary. 
Um, but after my property books, every book I wrote, Life Leverage and then Money um, and, and, and then this one, um, it has a higher level of abstraction, i.e. it can reach and help more people. Uh, money helps a lot of people, but self-worth will, will go f further and wider. So that's always my intention, to go wider, to reach more people. Uh, yeah. But when I, when I can get through to people and help them with their self-worth, not just buying properties or doing podcasts, which is what they think they need, but they need something deeper. Me, someone who's fighting his own ba baggage of when he was young and bullied and ostracised and had a lot of self-worth issues myself. I still, I still have needs of worth today. That's the greatest gift I find I, I give people and the gifts that move me the most. I mean, I, I did, did a dinner with um, some people who upgraded their tickets at, the, at my um, social media summit. And a chap sat me down and I know him from Facebook. And he said, Rob, um, I nearly died a couple of years ago. I had chronic liver failure, instant rushed me to hospital in a coma. Um, they did an emergency transplant. And what got me through the months in hospital was I listened to every single one of your books on audio and all of your podcasts. And it just moved me to tears. Um, and that is the, the single thing I think that's the greatest gift. And that's some of the work I want to move into. It's a part of my work anyway. I, uh, one of my best received podcast on the disruptive entrepreneur is um, how to deal with depression in business. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. Mm. So in that area, I, I'm not a trained, you know, psychologist or therapist. I'm just a guy who's got a bit of experience and I make that caveat clear because mm -hmm. I'm sure I'll get some critics and I'll like, well, what's your qualifications. Life is my qualifications yeah. and I'm not trying to be a, a professional. And if people are like really bad, I might s say it's best to go to, for professional help. Uh, someone who's dealt with mental health issues and stuff, I think it's uh, an important message to get out there. Mm. So um, thank you for yeah. uh, raising that. Cool. That's fantastic. Okay, we're going to change the tempo a little bit now. Uh, we're going to do some quick fire. Cool. Oh, okay. As you've been my inspiration to get this podcast out there, I want to know who or what inspires you. Okay, so people who exhibit greatness through their challenge and story inspire me. And that could be Arnold Schwarzenegger or that could be, you know, someone who's a war veteran or that could be a really young kid. There was this young kid who's watched Bruce, video, Bruce Lee videos his whole life. He's about six years old and he could do every Bruce Lee move and kick. Genius. There's another kid who, I don't know if you've seen him, he juggles three Rubik's Cubes and completes them by juggling three of them. That all, I mean, I get goosebumps saying those kind of things. Mm. So I, I, I don't want to just name an individual because greatness through challenge and struggle and per people's stories, old and young across the world, inspire me. Great. Makes me want to be better myself. Best advice you've received? Learn from the mistakes of other people, not your own. Worst advice you've received? Do everything yourself. Cool. If you could ask anybody any question, who would it be? And what would the question be? The, the person I'd like to meet the most and have a discussion with is Damien Hurst. Mm -hmm. uh, and the reason is, is because I think he's disruptive. I think he's controversial. I think he's an artist who's perfectly balanced 
capitalism and the commercial realities of running a business with art. I think he's handled the criticism well. I think he's edgy. I think he's a cool guy. I think he'd make an absolutely fantastic podcast guest. Um, if anyone knows him, I'd be welcome to an introduction. I think he'd find me interesting. Obviously, I used to be an artist as well. I wrote a book about money. I did some case studies on him in my book. Actually, there were artists before him like Warhol um, and Picasso who commercialised art very successfully, which a lot of people struggle with. And a lot of artists and creators, it's, it's like you have to you know, eat dry noodles for years before you earn the right to do anything. You don't. You can balance the opposing paradoxical forces of capitalism and creativity. And in fact, some of the best creativity is monetizing art. Um, I, I don't know that one specific... I'd like to dig into how he's dealt with the paradox of commercialising his art and art for art's sake. Yeah, that's, that's probably, I mean, look, there's, there's so many people I'd love to meet and interview, and that's the great thing about being a podcast host is you get to meet some cool people. Yeah. I've got some amazing guests coming, and I've met some amazing people, but that's one. I'd love to um, interview and meet Vivian Westwood. I think she's really disruptive. I, I, I wear all of her clothes. I love, you know, definitely paid a few of her mortgages <laughs> off. Um, Ronnie O'Sullivan. Mm -hmm. I mean, like, I could keep, could keep going, okay. but there you go. Okay. What is the weirdest thing or the strangest thing a person or a fan or someone in the community has done for you? Someone once gave me some extra virgin garlic olive oil as a gift. I felt that was somewhat random. <laughs> you particularly a fan of Tim, extra thanks. Virgin? I was very grateful, <laughs> but it just seemed random. Um, Yeah, you know, nothing, nothing too out there. Odd messages or anything? Uh, requests. <laughs> There's loads from Mark. <laughs> I can't say them on a live podcast. I'm gonna have to get Mark on the uh, yeah. on the podcast. Uh, okay. Yeah, no, I've, I think I've been pretty lucky. Mm. Um, and I also try and, I mean, there's some things that I could look at and go, whoa, wait a minute. But I like to try and understand people and, and, and you know, maybe not be dismissive. Uh, yeah. I think about a pretty normal. Hmm. And finally, what would you like to be or most like to be remembered for? Okay, so I'd like to be remembered from someone who got in someone's face. Um, they didn't necessarily like or agree with at first, challenged them to get off their ass and create a better life for themselves financially and then holistically. Yeah, I, I, a feedback I get a lot is, who's this guy? He's a bit gobby. Or I like, you know, I think getting under people's skin is good. Not being, not criticising them in that way, but getting under their skin. Because if what I say to you is bland and vanilla and you know already and like, yeah, and it's sausage machine stuff. I've not impacted any change. I'll, I'll try not to do it for the sake of doing it as a gimmick. But yeah, someone who got under people's skin a bit, got them to think a bit differently, got them to see that there was more to them than they saw in themselves and then help them manifest that into something physical like money or results or success or progress.
that's how I'd like to be remembered. Nice. And so what's next? Vision for the companies? You've got multiple and for you personally. Well, I've just bought a Lamborghini Aventador and Mark hasn't let me have a go in it yet. <laughs> so I'm, I'm going to get in that and go and take Bobby to golf. So that's, what's, that, that's what nec- what's next for me personally. <laughs> um, okay, not being flippant. Um, a business mentor I had about eight years ago, so it's just after the recession when everything kind of went to and um, I'm a big one for starting new things all the time and variety and I love that and it makes me feel alive and I think often the assumption next year and in the future of your business it's more, more, new, new. And he said, Rob, have you ever thought about just doing the same thing next year but 20% better? And I had never thought of that, so much so that it really twisted my brain. And the more I thought about it, I thought, yeah, you know what, that's really good advice. Sometimes the best thing to do isn't something new, bigger, grander, different. Sometimes the best thing to do is just keep doing what you're doing, but just a little bit better next year. I already have a foundation. I set that up last year. I've got, I've got six decades worth of work to do for that. I already have a podcast. So I have two now. I've got decades worth of work to do for that. Um, I'm obviously doing what I want to do with Bobby and his golf and Ariana with, you know, she's well into golf, but I'm going to, I think she's going to be an actress or a professional diva. Um, I want to keep going, growing progressive and unlimited success. We're actually merging the brands so that they'll become one brand and that's going to be a long process to go through. So just to deliver my vision of trying to help people get more financial freedom across the planet. Awesome. And if people want to find out more about you, if, if this is their first time being introduced to uh, the wonder that is Rob Moore, and his colourful language. <laughs> Mr. Disruptive Entrepreneur. Where can they go find out more? Where would you like them to go first? What's kind of, where can they go find out more about you? Uh, well, you can find anything on my website, robmore.com. So mm-hmm. you can fi- follow me on LinkedIn and Facebook, etc. there. Um, Money and Life Leverage are my current live books. Start Now, Get Perfect Later comes out soon. Your podcast? Yeah, Disruptive Entrepreneur podcast and The Money podcast. If you Google me or Facebook me or, you know, stick my name in some search engine anywhere, you'll find. Perfect. Yeah, there's also a Rob Moore model. That's not me. Oh, okay. <laughs> Ladies, just in case. <laughs> Go on, get the wrong God, I need this coffee. <laughs>
All you need to do is go to leveragedlifestyle.co.uk forward slash podcast. That is leveragedlifestyle.co.uk forward slash podcast to register to get your first free access to this two-day summit. And a member of our bookings team will be in contact nearer the time to confirm your and your guest place. So why am I doing this? As I said, hundreds of people have already paid for their place to be at the Leverage Lifestyle Summit. However, I want to grow this podcast and the reach with it. And I know that if I give you a special bonus and you can come and meet myself, my team, other speakers that I've put together for this event, you're going to be more engaged and share this podcast with even more people. So what are you going to get at this live two-day event? You're going to get the knowledge to be able to work on your business rather than in the business, which means you can become a business owner rather than running all those day-to-day operations of the business that you probably really don't like doing or, or even hate doing. It can free up your time to do more of what you love with who you love. It is the reason I created this podcast uh, and to get the message out there, come to the live event, it's going to just take it to that absolute next level for you. You're going to learn also how you can take a holiday every six weeks, not just once a year or twice a year, but holiday every six weeks. Discover different passive income business models as well so you can create your ultimate leveraged lifestyle. So what do you need to do again? All you need to do to register to get your first free access to the Leveraged Lifestyle Summit is to go to Leveraged Lifestyle. So that's L-E-V-E-R-A-G-E-D-L-I-F-E-S-T-Y-L-E dot co dot U-K forward slash podcast. So that's P-O-D-C-A-S-T. Now, we are completely limited by the size of the room that we have. This event is based in the UK. So I just have 100 pairs of tickets that I can give away to those who go right now to that link I just gave you. These will go fast. Make sure you go and register your details at that page to get guaranteed first come first serve access to this event. Now, as I say, you're going to get a pair of tickets. So bring your business partner, your friend, your family member, your mum, dad, uh, maybe your niece or nephew or your virtual assistant. And by the way, if you don't have a virtual assistant yet, don't worry, we're going to share with you how you can get one. So go get yourself in the room. This really is where the magic happens. I really want to thank you for listening to this first episode. Go to your favourite podcast platform to keep listening to the next episodes of Leverage Lifestyle and ensure you subscribe to make sure you get every episode. And remember, there is no better time than now to start creating your leveraged lifestyle.